Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. How do you turn soup into gold? You add 24 carrots. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and from APM American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download. Culture, food, and humor to fuel your party conversations. You just got a joke from Tiana Paris that'll help break the ice. She stars in Spike Lee's film Chirac, which just came out on DVD this past week. That joke also kicked off a special live taping of our program in Los Angeles. We called it our Midwinter Review. Yes, now... To be honest, we don't really know what a midwinter review is. There's that. But it sounded better than a let's do a live show in L.A. when it's cold (laughs) everywhere else review. Uh, Nonetheless, it was a grand night with great guests. And today you'll hear the highlights, including conversations with actor Jason Schwartzman, comedian Jenny Slate, writer and actor Lena Waithe, and musician Father John Misty. But as is our custom, we started the party with small talk. And for that, we turned to journalist Shireen Marisol Miraji. She reports on race issues for NPR's Code Switch team. We invited her on stage to tell us about her favorite story of the week. So I did a story on the etymology of the political term hispandering, which is, <laughs> if you haven't heard of it, it's, yeah. it's when a politician does clunky, corny things to get the Latino vote okay. or to get All Latinos right. to give them money. Example? So we, yeah, we need an example. All right, Hispandering, um, let's see. I'm going to pick one from the right, but it is bipartisan. She works for NPR, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Yes, just so you know. Objective reporting. We Very trained objective. her well. So, yes, Jeb Bush, uh, he loves to talk about how awesome his guacamole recipe is. <laughs> constantly. But maybe his guacamole recipe is awesome. It might be. And isn't he married to a Mexican? He is married to a Mexican woman. So, but, okay. how's that his pandering? He's been called out for his pandering. Let me finish the story. Okay, so Lord. Lord. Have you listened to our show? I have. It's you guys talking the entire time. <laughs> Let's get a word in edgewise. True. So, on his campaign site to raise money, he's selling a mortar and pestle. You know, the thing that you smash avocados with to make guacamole, but he's selling it without the pestle, just the mortar, and he's calling it nada morcajete, which is what it's called in Spanish, because if you really want to, you know, get those Latinos to vote for you, speak a little Spanish. Wait, wait, does it say Jeb on it, and then the pestle is the exclamation point? (laughs) (laughs) You don't even get the pestle. Man, Um, He's calling it a a guacabole. Oh, my. Yes. All right. There you go. So Hispandering, 101. Check out Code Switch. But look, that's not why we brought you here. No, it's not. That's way too important. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, this is the part of the show where people tell us a story that's under the radar that one would talk about at a dinner party. I'm going to talk about an epic 10-hour-long feature out of the UK. It is called Paint Drying. (laughs) Is it... And is, is that it what self-explanatory? It, is? it has a, yes, it's self-explanatory. But here's the backstory, which I would tell at a dinner party. Okay. Uh, the filmmaker, a disgruntled filmmaker from the UK, is disgruntled because that sounds spent, like a movie right there. Because <laughs> you spend thousands and thousands of pounds making a film, and then you have to spend a thousand more pounds showing that film to a censorship board so you can get a rating so the film can be shown in a theater. Okay. And he's like, "Why am I paying 
censors, he's not happy about that. So in perfect <laughs> British fashion, which is very passive aggressive, he goes online, he asks people to contribute money as much as they can so he can make the world's longest, most boring film <laughs> for the awesome. censorship board to watch. And he raised enough money to make a 607-minute film for the censorship. Amazing. Amazing. Yes, and it's of white paint drying. And I'm assuming... (laughs) Yeah. So I'm assuming that they're not allowed to fast-forward through this? No. No, there are rules. This is is the UK. Love bureaucracy (laughs) and rules. So the rule is if someone submits a film to them, they have to watch it from beginning till the end in a theater. It has to Amazing. be in a theater. Amazing. Well, that That's sounds crazy. like that sounds better than 89 minutes of Paul Blart. Yeah. <laughs> Mall cop. Feels like it would so, be. Who knows? Shereen, Hello. thanks so much for the small talk. Thank you on so our show. much for having it me. It was an honor. Thanks for Raji, Shereen Marisol Maraji, she reports for NPR's Code Switch team. Keep an eye out for their new podcast. And after Shereen left the stage, we were joined by actor Jason Schwartzman. Mm. You know him from a million things, but you probably first saw him playing Max Fisher, the eccentric, extracurricular obsessed prep school kid in the movie Rushmore. That was the first of his many collaborations with director Wes Anderson, which include the Darjeeling Limited and Moonrise Kingdom. That's right. You also may have heard him on this very radio show talking about the film The Overnight, in which he starred with Adam Scott. But his latest project is for the small screen. Jason produces, writes for, and performs in the Amazon series Mozart in the Jungle, which just won a Golden Globe for Best Comedy. It's a behind-the-scenes look at a fictional symphony orchestra in New York. Now, Jason's known for playing in the pop bands Phantom Planet and Coconut Records. So we asked what attracted him to the world of classical music. Well, I've always been interested in classical music. My grandfather was a conductor and a a flautist. Uh, He actually played first chair flute uh, for Toscanini. Um, really? Yeah, wow. someone whistled. And uh, anyway, uh, thank you. My mom loves classical music, but it's always been very intimidating to me. The world of it was uh, a bit scary and intimidating, and um, sometimes as a young boy, my mom uh, would get tickets to go see the L.A. Philharmonic play, and the process of getting ready for it was uh, unenjoyable. And... Um, <laughs> And going there, and then you see all these people, and there's like, you know, there's cough drops everywhere so that people don't cough <laughs> yeah. during that, and you never know when to clap. And it was just a very, like, it's awkward, confusing. It's very confusing. confusing. Movements are. Yeah. And it just, I just, it was elusive. And um, I read a, this is about eight years ago now, I read a review about a book that was coming out called Mozart in the Jungle, and it was this woman named Blair Tyndall's account of her trying to uh, make it in the world of classical music in New York City. I read the review, and then the book, and it was the beginning of it feeling alive to me because it was about people. And instead of the tuxedos that everyone's wearing being perfect, somehow they had holes in them and they just seemed like people that I could More maybe meet. Yeah, yes. exactly. And, yeah. and really at the end of the day, I just, it's about people that make things and, 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 and make music and yeah. get to connect with these composers. By the way, the, the, the conductor in the show, Rodrigo, mm-hmm. is, uh, it's said that he is loosely based on our own Gustavo Dudamel, the mm-hmm. conductor of the L.A. Philadelphia. Who just turned 35 two days ago. I know. Isn't that crazy? That's Insane. Amazing. Local treasure. Have I you, know. Local. Have, have you spoken with him about the show? Gustavo Dudamel? Yes. I've never spoken to Gustavo Dudamel, but I will tell you this. Um, <laughs> 
he is he is in our show this year. Uh, he plays a stage manager. We we were able to uh, connect with the LA That's film right. this year, <laughs> and, and um, we shot a scene at the Hollywood Bowl. They said, you know, we have a Mozart night, and perhaps there's some arrangement we could make, and we could join forces. And so Gustavo Dudamel actually spent a lot of time um, teaching Gael Garcia Bernal, who plays our main maestro, Rodrigo. teaching him how. Yes, he did, and uh, teaching him some expertise conducting tips. And uh, Gael actually conducted the L.A. Phil at the Hollywood Bowl in front of a real audience. They had, we had one take to do it. Like, it was a... Incredible. It was, yeah, it was amazing. And he said he had never been more nervous in his life. But Gustavo Dudamel um, plays a stage manager who walks him to the wings. <laughs> yeah. And he improvised a line that's in the show. And to me, it's like the funniest line, which is, in our show, the New York Symphony is possibly going to go on strike. And he says to Gael, are the rumors true that you're going to go on strike? If so would you come to L.A.? And he says, no, we're not going on strike. I'm going to stay in New York. And he says, you've got to come to L.A. We hate our conductor. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a really nice Very one. good. That guy is good. Well, we have a clip here from the show. It's not that one, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah, that's but, fine. But it's a good one because yeah. you're in it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. And uh, in it, you play the host of a classical music podcast. Yes. And in this scene, you're interviewing the highly regarded former conductor of a symphony orchestra. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. That was Zanakis with Analogique AB. You're listening to another edition of B Sharp, a musical podcast where classical music is our forte. I'm your host, Bradford Sharp. And speaking of Sharp, I'm sitting across from the sharpest of the sharp, Thomas Pembridge, international conductor, scholar, and famed interpreter of the music of Chopin. Maestro, thank you for making the time. It is beyond an honor. First question, is classical music dead? All right. Easy peasy. <laughs> wow. Uh, so there you are playing a podcaster. Yeah. We got to say, we initially thought you might have been inspired by, I don't know, a culture show that you'd been on a couple of times, public radio yes. podcast. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Culture show thing. Continue. Um, but then <laughs> uh, it turns out there's another podcast slash public radio person in your life, which would be Davia Nelson, who yes. is part of the famed Kitchen Sisters. That's true. You guys know who the Kitchen Sisters are? They're this, they report Amazing. for NPR and have for a long time and do just exquisite work. Yes, uh, Davia, um, uh, or Davia, I don't, I've always found both. Oops, per, no, you don't have to apologize. <laughs> I was about to apologize for mispronouncing it all these years, I think. Um, <laughs> but um, no, uh, she was the San Francisco casting director for Rushmore, or I guess put in charge of... Wow keeping an eye out for possibly someone to be in the movie Rushmore. And basically, just as a little backstory, I was a bit of a clown in school, usually in love with older girls, um, and was ex- a bit eccentric. I wanted to be like a playwright and write and direct plays, and I was in a band and all this stuff. And uh, Davia was talking um, to my cousin Sophia at this party. Mm-hmm. They have known each other for many years, I guess. And she said she was... Uh, trying to cast this film, Rushmore, about an eccentric teenager who's in love with an older woman who was a playwright. <laughs> and, what? and I happened to be at this party, and she said, I'm casting this movie that sounds like maybe you would be interested. Would you like to, uh, have you ever auditioned for anything? And I said, no, I've never auditioned. I'm a musician. And I gave her my address. The script for Rushmore came to my mom's house. Um, and... I read it. It was the first script I'd ever read in my life. And I remember sort of feeling like uh, 
an odd connection to it. Yeah. And I went to the audition in so L.A. We yeah. need to make a. We have to have you pause right there. Yep. If it's okay with you, we have the audition tape. <laughs> oh boy. Are you okay? Can we play it? Are you all right? Uh, yeah. All right. Wow. So, you dare us? <laughs> no, no. We have a Mom. clip from it. <laughs> Mom. <laughs> no, we have Where, a little did clip. Did you? We can. <laughs> I told her. I told her not. To. <laughs> uh, so here we go. We have a little clip of that audition. My name is Max Fisher. I am new here to school. I was recently expelled from Rushmore Academy. This is my first time in a public school. Uh, I know you all probably think I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but I'm no elitist. One note, I noticed you didn't have a fencing team. Well, I'm really going to try my hardest to start that out for you guys. So if you want to uh, chante, chante, give me a call. Max Fisher. <laughs> Max Fisher. It's odd. It's odd. Um, don't people's voices get lower as they get older? <laughs> Jason Schwartzman chatting with us before a live audience at the theater at Ace Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. And people, I got to come clean on something. Yeah, you do. The woman from the Kitchen Sisters, Jason was right. It's pronounced Davia Nelson. It's true. That a public radio <laughs> host mispronouncing the name of a kitchen sister. It's okay. I only did it live in front of 1,600 people. That's right. It's fine. You could get your tote bags taken away. God. Uh, anyway, folks, Rocco Jagubliano and I are going to take a quick break. <laughs> but coming up, Lena Waithe, star of the show Master of None, adds chilling to her Netflix resume. When the Dinner Party Download continues. I'm sorry. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Download, the culture show that helps you win your dinner party. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and we are in the midst of playing you some highlights from our recent live show at the dauntingly huge and gorgeous mm. theater at Ace Hotel in downtown L.A. In a few minutes, you'll hear musician Father John Misty destroy our set. But first up, the multi-talented Lena Waithe. Yes, she's probably best known for playing Denise, Aziz Ansari's wise lesbian pal on the series Master of None. Mm -hmm. But she also produced the hit Sundance film Dear White People, wrote for the TV show Bones, and was named one of Variety's 10 comics to watch in 2014. Lena took the stage to tell our audience about the time a general business meeting with a female studio executive turned into something a little more serious. An important thing to know, first and foremost, is she was a heterosexual person. Um, okay, so we met initially at a general meeting. The general meeting was very general. It was awesome. It was good. And I realized, like, oh, she's cute. I made a mental note of that. So then after the general meeting, and we would, like, bump into each other here and there. Like, we went to Sundance. She was at the screening. She came to the party. And I was like, hey, what up? What's going on? She's like, hey, okay, cool. Um, but again, just mental note of the cuteness. Then I'm like, she's a straight person. Lesbians don't turn people. Let's try to do that. <laughs> so we just kept bumping into each other. She actually invited me to her 30th birthday party. I couldn't go because I have to go to Mexico to watch two white people get married. So I missed that. But she... <clears throat> so then we bumped into each other at a mutual friend's 30th birthday party. It was like really dope. Like it was a block party. There's a lot of graffiti on the wall. It was very black. It was very school days-esque. <laughs> Um, so there's a lot of dancing, like, you know, and so she and I, and you know, we engaged in a dance. It was like she was in front of me, like I was dancing behind her. I was like, I was like this, this is nice, we're dancing, this is cool, you're very cute. <laughs> so she's next to me and she goes, you know, we should, we should hang out sometime, we should hang out. And I was like, yeah, we should. But I had zero intention of hanging out with her though. I was, it, was like, it was very Hollywood speak. I was just like, okay, cool. <laughs> Cut to, 
I'm in my office um, at Bones. I used to write on Bones. It's a, it's a long story. Um, <laughs> I wrote an episode about like a lesbian psychic and she got killed. It's fine, whatever, you'll catch it. Um, so anywho, so she, so I'm in my office, I'm like chilling, it was a Monday, and I get an email from her, and it's literally the best email I've ever gotten, that's probably because it changed my life, but it's an email that said, hey, great running into you on Friday, I know life is busy, but let me know when you're available. She didn't even finish, she didn't even say the whole word available. <laughs> it was like sweet and short, but kind of like stern, and like, you're gonna hang out with me, it was very alpha and kind of cool, so I was like, Okay, cool. So I hit her back and go, yeah, cool. Let's do Friday. I got a hard out at nine. <laughs> so she's like, okay, cool. Let's do the mercantile. May the mercantile rest in peace. It's a, it used to be on Sunset. I know, right? Come on, hipsters. So <laughs> cut to my ass shows up late to the thing. And I'm like, hey, so I'm late. And we sit down. And I'm like, you know, this is a bit, I'm thinking this is a business drink. So I start going to my whole thing. So I'm like, yeah, writing on bones right now. That's happening. Dear white people, did very well, you know, it's awesome, very happy about that. There she goes, okay, that's fine, but what do you like to do for fun? And then we just started talking about like life and like family and like just everything. And I was like literally sitting there looking at her like, if you were a lesbian, this would be like the best date I've ever been on, like truly. So and while we're talking and stuff, this, this waitress comes over and is like pouring her this rare wine and she's like loving it, she's like, really good, it's so awesome. I love, I love having a glass of red wine while I, while I read scripts and stuff. And I was like, oh, this, oh, this is cool, okay. And the lady's pouring the wine, I don't know, this is really cool. Because I don't drink alcohol, I don't play with the devil's nectar, so I'm just like watching and observing. You know, and of course the hard out like goes away by like 8.30. And she's like, don't you have a hard out? I'm like, oh, no, I'm cool. We talking, this is me and you. So anywho, so at the, end of the, at the end of the evening, like I give her a hug and like our hands graze a little bit. And I'm going like, am I getting energy? Is she giving me vibes? What's going on? So I walk out, I text my friend. I'm like, yo, I think I got vibes from the black chick at that studio. And that's, he knows what I'm talking about because only one black chick at that studio. <laughs> so, so he responds like, LOL, you crazy. You think all the straight girls want you? Like ain't nobody trying to... Sleep with you, Lena. She don't want you. Like, what? And I'm going like, you right. I know, but I, I don't know. I think sometimes the straight girls be wanting me. They send me vibes. So I go home. I'm like shook. And I'm just like, what was that? But then I get excited for a second because I realize the next night, just by happenstance or God above, thank you, that we're going to my manager's housewarming the next night. And he's black. She's black. All the black people, we know each other. So I'm like, so she's... So she's gonna be there the next night. So this is who I am, okay? So I call the mercantile the next morning. I go, hey, I was at your establishment last night sitting with a lovely young lady. This person was our waitress. She was pouring the woman sitting in front of me a certain kind of wine. Can you please tell me what brand it is and what year? Because I want to buy her that bottle of wine and take it with me. Yeah, y'all see how I do. Take it with me to the party. So, of course, so they give me the information. I go to a wine store. I give it to them. they like, we don't have it. I go, God dang it. And I go, well, look, I don't know about alcohol, okay? I'm like, what's the most expensive bottle of red wine you got up in this mother <laughs> Give me that. So I'm like, cool, 60 bucks, womp, boom, okay. So I put it in my, my car, and I'm like, and I leave it in my car, because I'm like, I'm not going to walk in a party with a bottle of wine, because my manager, Andrew, going to think that's for him. No, not for you, for the lady. So I leave it in the car. And I know that when I see her, I'm, at the end of the night, I'm going to be like, yo, I got something for you in my truck. That way I know I'm like, if, if my friend is right and I'm, and I'm tripping, I can say, this is just, you know, wine-friendly gesture. But if, if I'm right, I'm like, 
look, I'm feeling you too, girl. The mental note is coming to life. So anyway, so we at the party. She, so, so I step in the party. I'm looking around like, where's she at? And she's looking fly. She's got the poetic justice braids, like looked up, ready. She's got this black sheer shirt. She's got this like little shirt. I'm like, yes, what's up? So I see her, I'm like, hey, what's going on, hey? And she's like, hey, what's up? And she's and she, one of her other friends there who's kind of like a hating friend. She's like a hater. I call her like, you remember on Martin, like Gina and Pam, I call her, I call her Pam. I'm like, Pam. So I don't care, I roll up. I'm like, excuse me, Pam, let me get around you. Hey. I'm like, look, I know it's a lot of people at this party, you know? I'm like, but you're the only person I'm interested in talking to. And she's like, oh, thank you. And it's a big house. It's like black people, Kendrick Lamar's playing dope. So I go, look, he's my manager. He gets 5% whatever it is. So I'm like, yo, um, I'm helping to pay for this house. So I'm gonna give myself a personal tour. Would you like to join me? So yeah, so I'm like, let's get away from all these like regular people. So we like go, we finally find a balcony and it's like empty and like we're out there and like we're talking and I'm just like, this is really nice, you're beautiful, da da da. And just when we like about to get close, who walks out on the balcony? Pam. She's like, hey, you need a ride home? You need a ride home? I'm, like, I'm like, I can give you a ride. And the friend is like, no, I, I got it. I'll give her a ride home. And I'm like, I can give her a ride to her crib. It's not a big deal. I got a truck. I'm, truck is gassed up. It's not a problem. So anyway, our friend's like, she's like, well, fine. I won't argue with you. I'm like, thank you. Don't. Okay. Bye. So her friend walks away, and one of my friends rolls up. Like, what's going on? I'm like, don't. He's like, okay, got you. All right, cool. He knew what's up. So anyway, so we started talking, we're looking at each other, we're gazing to his eyes, and the next thing I know, like we're making out, like, and it's like beautiful and it's amazing, it's very lesbianic. And then we're like, okay. So then we like go back downstairs to the party and, and you know, we're like acting like a couple and it's amazing and everybody's kind of hating or whatever. I'm like, don't hate, this is what we do. So, and then we walk to the car, I give her the bottle of wine and she's like, what? I told her, I'm like, I tried to get the brand they had last night, but they didn't have it. She kissed me again. She's like, I don't care about that. This is the gesture. It's the thought. So we make out again in the car. I take her home, and we watch a little Netflix, and we chilled. And we've been together ever since. Thank y'all. That applause you hear is the sound of 1,600 people falling in love with actor, writer, and producer Lena Waith at our live show in Los Angeles a couple weeks back. When it died down, we asked her to sit with us for a chat. That's right. And we started by pointing out that the story you just heard actually helped win her the role of Denise on Aziz Ansari and Alan Yang's Netflix show, Master of None. This sounds the most Hollywood thing I've ever said. I went to Aziz Ansari's house. Um, <laughs> I walked past his Tesla. Uh, and uh, no, I sat, <laughs> I sat down with him and Alan Yang and... And we were just like talking about life and they were like, what's going on? And, and it's still, I mean, falling in love with her has been the most important, most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. So I was like, okay, this is the story that like has changed my life and changed me. And I told them about it and they were just, and they were just most fascinated by the fact that like, so she was not a lesbian. She was a straight person. Did you turn her? I'm like, no, she sent me an email. And next thing I know, I'm on a date. I didn't even know I was on. <laughs> And here we are. So they, they kind of enjoyed it, and the kind of some of the things kind of trickled its way into Master of None, the, the Denise experience. Yes, the Denise experience. <laughs> You've said uh, in other interviews that you wanted to be a TV writer since you saw the TV show A Different World Yeah. as a kid. What sure. about that show was inspiring to you? It was the first time I saw characters that were like really smart, really cool, really interesting, and I wanted to be them. It was sort of like this amazing PSA, really. It was like, <laughs> it was like black children, you too 
can get a college education <laughs> and be a contributing member of your society. Um, you know, so it just was really cool. And I think the characters had such a huge impact on me because they were just so like real and, I, and they just felt so honest. And you can still remember like Whitley and Freddie and Dwayne and Ron and Kim. Like we say those names, people kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, then you went to college and you studied television writing. Studied television writing. Like I was that weird kid. Like, you know, they would ask, you know, you ask kids like in their first grade, like, what do you want to do? I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I was like, I want to write an episode of a different world. Like, I was that person. <laughs> and they were like, what? Like, what? So you were raised by a single mother. The television is your babysitter. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, like, I, even though we live with my grandmother and stuff like that, my grandmother was working. My mom was always working. And my sister was just, like, ignoring me because she's older. And that's what you do. So I really, like, my first, like, real friend it was really television and these characters. And, and that's why it's so important to me. I, I always wanted to be a part of that world. But as a writer, them. that's interesting. I mean, like, you, you wanted to be a part of that world, but you kind of want to create the world. Yeah, I wanted to create characters that were lasting and impactful, because for me, it was always, like, that show, I was, like, a young girl growing up on the south side of Chicago, and that show kind of made me realize, like, oh, there's a world outside my backyard, and so for me, the reason why I want to write is because I'm always thinking about who is that little girl that I could possibly inspire that she'll go, oh, the world is bigger than my own backyard. Mm. Nice. And so these worlds are overlapping because you're writing a, your new show yeah. coming out for Showtime. Well, is we it? hope it's coming out. Come okay. on, Showtime. You know, okay. we, uh, well, <laughs> it's produced by Common. You got a good start. That's true. Come on, Common. Can you say Shaw City? He's so dope. He's uh-huh. so cool. Yes. And so He's it's so about fly. Chicago. Yeah, I wanted to write about my city, you know. I mean, and as we all know, Chicago is sort of going through some troublesome times right now. And, and there's a lot of headlines coming out, like, every freaking week. And they're horrible. My family still lives in Chicago. So the thing I wanted to do was not unlike what Ryan Coogler did with Fruitvale. I really wanted to humanize some of these stories. I wanted to write these characters that if you could connect to them, the next time you hear, you know, a story about some young black boy being shot and killed, it won't just be background noise, but you'll kind of feel like, oh, like that kid could be like this character that I love or I relate to. And I I really think that, yes, television should be entertaining and it should be fun, but I also hope I can write something that kind of helps the way we relate to each other and sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. experience that humanity. Um, real quick before we let you go, you know, your show explores some of the dark sides of Chicago. There's been yeah. a lot of talk about that. Mm-hmm. We wanted to give you an opportunity to show the light side. What, when people are going to Chicago and they've never been, what's the, like, secret spot to go to? Only the Blow up the spot. I'm going to blow it up. Here's the deal. <laughs> this is this spot? <laughs> I'm go- I want some right now. It's this place called Pepe's. Mexican food. Like, here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. It's Mexican food. But imagine... Two big black women with like hair nut hair nets on and like t-shirts that just say like you know I'm black and I'm proud you know like <laughs> imagine them making the Mexican food so it's not real Mexican food but it's black people's interpretation of Mexican food <laughs> so it's like grease it's like butter it's like ground beef it's like nacho cheese <laughs> like the, the the liquid kind of nacho cheese like in there and like a little little bit of lettuce little bit of tomato like very little vegetable greasy like you know taco shells and like tortilla chips out of a bag like you pour in the bag you put like Kool-Aid mixed with Sprite like it's it's my dream and, and you know my girlfriend gonna be pissed like so what are we doing for dinner tonight? Peppies. <laughs> Writer, producer, and actor Lena Waithe 
Her TV series set in Chicago is in the works. No word yet on what percentage of it will be shot at Pepe's. That's right. And now we turn to the musical portion of our recent live show in Los Angeles, courtesy of Josh Tillman, a.k.a. Father John Misty. He drummed and sang with the band Fleet Foxes, but his solo albums, which are full of cynical yet heartbreaking somehow folk rock songs, have made him an indie star. You'll hear him perform later, but first we had him share with us his dinner party soundtrack, a playlist of songs he'd spin at a party. His choices included everything from Harry Nilsson covering an old pop classic to a song that's... It's a little blue. It's a little blue. Yes. But his first pick was a tune called Taria and Ramakrishna by jazz great Alice Coltrane. Now, we should say Father John is... I guess prankster would be the word to use. It's fair to say. So fittingly, while the song played, he stood atop our prop coffee table and happily kicked the drinking glasses sitting there two bits. For the folks at home, Father John Misty is destroying the set. That's right. This is a gorgeous tune. Why, why are you starting your dinner party with this one? It's actually kind of downbeat to start off a dinner party with. I've never had a dinner party in my life. All right. Okay. So theoretically. Just presuming that I would have very cultured friends who would <laughs> need to hear some Alice Coltrane. I'm assuming you're a fan. Yeah, very big fan. Do you know much about her? But I know that she's a, a, she was a multi-instrumentalist and a harpist. She was like one of the few yeah. jazz harpists ever. Yeah, I have like a guiding principle in terms of musicians that I really love where I don't, I don't want to know any biographical info or... I'm sorry. I'm sorry I just ruined it So for thanks you. for ruining <laughs> yeah. whoever yeah. that was for me. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, that was Iron Maiden I was thinking right. of. Yeah. Sorry, that was Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden. Yeah. Well, here's something that you didn't know about her. Her grand-nephew is, is Philo. Oh, you did As know I that. call him. See, all right. You're withholding. Do you know him? I don't know him. So her grandnephew is Flying Lotus, an electronic musician. Yeah. And he has a song where he actually loops that song. That tune? Yeah. yeah. And we have that right here. Oh, yeah. What do you think? Dinner party just went up a notch. There it did. Yeah, yeah it did. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, it did. That yeah. We, just, we just went to the standard hotel and we're sitting in the lobby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for it to be a standard hotel, for it to be any, like, modernist hotel lobby music, you would have to feature the lyrics, just breathe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just it, breathe. Yeah. We could bring that back and, and we could maybe hear how that would go. Yeah. Just breathe. Do, 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 yeah. um, all right, so the party. We're going to release that, by the way, and make a ton of money. <laughs> all right, so the party is now up a notch. It is now time for your second selection of the dinner uh, that you'd play if you were ever to have a dinner party. Yeah, if I ate. <laughs> <laughs> you are slender. You're a slender or man. Or had friends. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you, how, we could start by playing the clip of this next song. Yeah, I don't like introducing things. Okay, let's okay. play it. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'm weak, maybe I'm strong, but never. I'm in love 
It's a shame that you don't learn anything about these musicians because I think you'd really like Nelson. I think you guys should have, share some interests. I think it's yeah, definitely time for me to release like an American songbook album. Yes, yeah, I think yeah. It's ready. that is Harry Nelson from his American Standards record. Yeah, a Touch of Schmilson in the Night. He's a whole. He he just kind of tweaks it, uh, even in like the sweetest moments. There's uh, if you can walk that line of devotion without losing your soul, that, that, that's, that's like a very rare thing. And I think like, you know, he doesn't sacrifice himself to, to do service to these songs because, you know, a lot of those songs just sound like static to us at, at this. They're so canonical and familiar. We and know them so well. Yeah. Yeah. That was originally 1931, I think, of Bing Crosby or something. Yeah. Recorded that. I've yeah. covered this song. I've done it. I, oh, really? Yeah, I do it live. It's I guess usually it's, it's in- has a fairly detrimental effect on merch sales. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of having a detrimental effect on, a, on, on things, here, why don't you introduce your last song? Because we, we've got something to say about this song. This next song is called Mozzarella Swastikas. <laughs> That's real. By uh, Adam Green. And uh, we're, we're going to play just enough of this for you people in the audience to get the gist. You'll understand yeah. pretty quickly why we can't spin too much of it for you. In a land made of strings Where the hills are balls of twine And the doctor knits the sun Down in a baseball diamond mine And the mozzarella sweaters Get sewn to the tits Where the lump behind the sheet is where the tumor took a shit. All right. Yeah. <coughs> First of all, this is a public radio show. Okay. Uh, people in Salt Lake City are hearing this at noon. Yeah. So thank you for that. To be totally honest with you, um, I only chose this song because this is a hypothetical exercise. <laughs> It was actually the most offensive song I could yeah. find. Yeah. It gets, yeah. 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 We got that. Yeah. It gets really bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is yeah. really bad. It gets really bad. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I think the 14th I verse of this song features like a, like a cavalcade of people into a and someone has to eat the and. All right, so. It's horrible. Father John it's really, Misty, ladies really and gentlemen. Yeah. All right, there it is. Thank you very much. A dinner party soundtrack from Father John Misty. Yes, it was. His latest album is called I Love You, Honey Bear. It's also a little obscene. All right. We're going to take a quick break, but there's plenty more to come, including a song from Father John and our chat with comic Jenny Slate when the dinner party download continues. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Download, the culture show that gives you an edge in your weekend conversations. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano. Today we're playing you highlights from a live party we hosted at the theater at Ace Hotel in L.A., attended by 1,600 of our closest friends. Coming up, we'll hear a couch full of our celebrity guests answer etiquette questions. But first, let's meet one of them. 
actor, writer, and comedian Jenny Slate. She's appeared on TV shows like Parks and Rec and Kroll Show. She also starred in the Sundance hit Obvious Child, for which she won a Critics' Choice Award. And she co-created and performs the voice of the beloved animated internet star, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Yes, Marcel is an adorable little seashell with one eye and sneakers who likes to crack jokes about his own diminutive size. Here's a clip. Guess what I wear as a hat? What? A lentil. One time I nibbled on a piece of cheese and my cholesterol went up to 900. Guess what I used to tie my skis to my car? What? A hair. Guess what my skis are? What? Toenails from a man. When Jenny joined us on stage, I pointed out the following. The Marcel set is your house. Yes, it's always my house. Do you go through your life kind of looking at things differently, knowing that they could be places Marcel lives? Yeah, like my husband kind of, he, he directed and animated it, and he's the voice that you hear talking to Marcel. He's sort of like location scouts around our house. <laughs> So that's really fun for me because I like buy new plants and put them around and see if he, you know, is into it, (laughs) I guess. Uh, So you've turned the Marcel videos into children's books. So let's talk a little bit about your childhood. Sure. Jenny, you said that you're the child of, quote, art farts. (laughs) I did. You said that. It has quotes on it. It's on record. Yeah, no, I'm sure I did. And that you grew up in Massachusetts in, quote, this haunted house with these two artists with the woods on fire. There's a lot to unpack there. So first of all, why were the woods on fire? Okay, the woods were on fire, (laughs) truly, because my mom is a raku potter. Um, It's a type of pottery where, like, you fire the pot in the kiln, and then you put it in a barrel, and you wrap the pot in newspaper, and then you set it on fire. But my mom didn't have a permit for that, and she also wasn't careful. Um, (laughs) And so, like, one sheet of flaming paper goes into the woods, and then the whole woods get on fire fire and then all the children in the family have to put the fire out did it ever occur to her maybe not to do it near the woods so much no nothing smart occurred to anyone (laughs) that's not true because another part of your childhood is that you had a crush and you want to invite your childhood crush to your 10th birthday party yes nothing unusual there no except your crush was michael dukakis correct Still so hot for it. He's <laughs> Over Thanksgiving, there was an article in the Boston Globe, and it was like, saw- people are leaving turkey carcasses yes. outside of Mar- Michael Dukakis' house. And I was like, are they still, is it still happening? Like, I'll bring our carcass. Yeah, they would bring the carcasses because he was concerned that people were wasting them, and he makes broth out of them or something. Yeah. It's a true story. That could, that could have been our president. <laughs> George Bush won that year. Yes. Um, did he come to your birthday party? Uh, no, he oh, didn't. What, what about Michael was made him your man? I honestly just really loved his face. And <laughs> <laughs> I think at the time it was sort of like a just a young patriotism that meant nothing. Um, or I was just like, he's from our state. We should be president. <laughs> Somehow we, you would be president. Yeah. If you made it. Amazing. You've been known to do in your stand-up routines, especially on social media, talk about your dog, Reggie. Yes. Who I understand had a, 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 an unfortunate trip to the ER. He had an accident um, a couple weeks ago. He, um, you know, he ate, he ate, he ate a lot of tampons. He ate a lot of tampons. <laughs> he ate a lot of tampons. 
That's what so Reggie many. does. Yeah, it's a giant bummer and uh, a shame. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a very expensive surgery, which is why we won't go on vacation this year. You have a story you kind of told us backstage that's kind of beautiful about how you actually got Reggie. Well, when I graduated from college, I had no idea how to start to be an actress, and I didn't know any actors, and um, I decided to be an assistant to this opera singer um, who was... Uh, he was calling for an assistant on Craigslist. I met him in a restaurant, in a public place, because I'm safe. He seemed fine. In the interview, he was like, um, you know, we have, we have a lot of issues in our apartment, and we need somebody to, like, decorate for us, because we don't even know what we're doing. And I said, okay, that sounds great. I love homes. Um, <laughs> and to make them nice. So he was like, great, you're hired. So he gave me the address. I showed up there. It was, like, a very fancy apartment building in the West Village. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to be hanging out in the beautiful place all day and then with an opera singer and then he'll introduce me to like the lady who invented the Lion King musical or something. I don't know, you know. <laughs> so I opened the door and the way I describe this experience is like, have you ever been walking on the beach and then you like step on a fish um, and you're like, ew! And then... <laughs> And then you look around and it's just like somehow you've missed like 700 dead fish and stepped on and there's like 700 in front of you. Um, I step into the apartment. The door is open, which is always a bad sign. And I step on a, a complete burrito. <laughs> and then I look up and I'm just like, <gasps> and it was truly a crack den. Like <laughs> whatever you think it was, it was that. There's like a couple tables. They're, they're covered in haphazardly used cocaine. The windows are broken. There are jars everywhere filled with a liquid. And I'm like, he's a singer, maybe. It's tea. <laughs> and like one of them was like a Smucker's jar filled with, I was like, it's piss. <laughs> Girl, you know that it is. And I'm standing in there, I'm like, you have no future, and now you're going to get murdered. So like, I'm just like, Poof, and like bust out of there and like get down to the street, and I'm like, ah, ah, ah. My, my life is, it's just a shame. Oops, uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> and so I thought, I have to do something to make myself feel better. So I went to... Um, there was a pet store called Le Petite Puppy. Um, <laughs> there was a tiny Bichon up in the corner. And I was like, oh, I grew up with an, those dogs. Is that a Bichon? And they were like, yeah, but it's five months old. And it's not really a puppy anymore. And uh, <laughs> nobody wants it. And it just felt like a mirror of my situation. Like, well, you're not cute anymore. And you're kind of, like, expired on being new. We don't really know, like, what to do with you. And I was just like, I'll take him! <laughs> and um, and I, I know you shouldn't buy dogs from pet stores, but I bought him that day um, on a credit card that I had to pay off for many months. But, um, you know, I just don't like it when someone says that someone isn't wanted because you just never know whether or not they are. And it turns wow. out that he was, and he loves tampons. And I have them. There you go. The story of Reggie the dog. <laughs> Jenny Slate, actor, writer, and voice of the tiny internet behemoth Marcel the Shell. She's got five films in the hopper this coming year. And like a consummate party guest, she stuck around for the final segment of our live stage show. That's right. At this point, all of our guests, Jenny, Father John Misty, Lena Waithe, and Jason Schwartzman, squeezed together onto our interview couch of honor 
to answer etiquette questions from our audience. You should check out the picture it's online. Amazing. Starting with this question from a gentleman named Drew. So my question is for everybody on here. Uh, what kind of restaurant is the most civil place to break up with somebody at? And at what point in the meal? And at what mm. point in the meal was the second the one? The two-part question. Father I was going to say Olive Garden. You know. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It depends. Are you talking about like an eight-bread stick or a 16-bread stick breakup? But if, you, if you take it to Olive Garden, they might break up with you first. Yeah. You know what I mean? To be totally honest, because matters of the heart are important to me, you should break up on a hike. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to a restaurant that's crazy. <laughs> or even a bar. Yeah. That's insane. Uh, you should not misdirect. You should just break up, um, uh, you know, walking around in nature. And then if someone's upset, they can storm off or go into the woods. All right. All right. So that's the first part of your question. Yeah. To say they the didn't meal? take your advice, didn't go on the hike. At what point in a meal do you break up with someone? Don't do it during the appetizer. <laughs> Why? Why? Then you're over with it. Because then you're just like, I don't, when the meal comes, you're like... I want to eat this shit. <laughs> I'm single now. But maybe each course of the meal should correspond with a different phase of the breakup reasoning. <laughs> you know, where it's like, you know, the appetizer is fairly brutal, but by dessert, it's like, now you can do angel dust anytime you want. <laughs> That's interesting. Lena, you said you didn't drink, but angel dust, maybe. Do you want to date me right now? Do you want to lean it? You didn't listen to her story, did you? No, no. I was here. Nope. John As I heard it, that whole story was about paradigm busting. There so. <laughs> we go. Drew, there's plenty of answers yeah. there for you. Go that for it. Welcome. Contextualize. So this is Amanda. Hi. Let it rip. If you were hosting a dinner party, what do you think would be the best gift to bring the host? Okay. Okay. Start with you, Lena. Best gift for a dinner party host. I'm a big fan of a place called Hot and Juicy Crawfish. So if you brought me a bag <laughs> of shrimp and crab legs and like a lobster <laughs> tail and like garlic sauce with spices and butter, just a big bag of it and brought that to my house, I would just lay out the newspaper on the table, and we just have the best party on the planet. You know, wow. have some big Sean, some J. Cole going, just cracking shrimps and whatnot. Right. That would be ideal for me. So we got bag of seafood with all the condiments. That's right. I didn't realize that gifts were a component of the whole dinner party. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you brought us something, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Cash. Okay. <laughs> there you go. With like a dollar sign on it, so I cartoon know, style. So I know exactly what's going on. Gigantic Popeye style bag of cash. Yeah. All right. All right. That's me. Bags are featuring prominently in these <laughs> answers yeah. somehow. Bag of shrimp, bag of cash. This is amazing. <laughs> awesome. You know, one time somebody brought my parents a dozen eggs, a loaf of bread, and a joint. And I just felt like it was really thoughtful. Because um, it's like, you can party tonight or relax with a joint. But basically, tomorrow, it's eggs and toast. <laughs> That's pretty That's good. Nice. Incredible. Every answer was... I know, this is pretty good. Yeah. I mean... You got to follow it up. Schnikey. Finish well, strong. the truly honest answer would be like if someone came to my house with like some weird bootleg of something um, oh. like this is a, this is a video of 
There is actually a movie, with What's Randy Eating Newman. My Mouse. That's a, right? What's Eating My Mouse? What's Eating My Mouse? And that's very hard to find. I think right, it's very hard you. to find that movie. So okay. if someone came over with a copy of What's Eating My Mouse, um, then I would want that, I guess. That's All right. A bootleg. So we've got What's answer, Eating My Mouse. We've got eggs, toast, and weed. Yeah. Bag, cartoonish bag of cash, and a big bag of seafood. <laughs> there you go, Amanda. Thank you. You're welcome. You You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. And you're Come welcome. to my house. <laughs> All right, got a couple more here. Lisa, we should note that this uh, message was uh, written to us all in capital letters. This oh, question. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Uh, yeah. Imagine yeah. it's in all caps, drunk at night. Um, why is it rude to ask your friends how much money they make? I just want to know. I'm curious. I make nothing. Ugh, why is it so annoying to be an adult? <laughs> Do you guys catch that? It's a two-parter. <laughs> Why is it rude to ask your friends how much money they make? What, anybody know? <laughs> In that case, how much money do you guys make? <laughs> <laughs> and let's welcome Noam Chomsky to the stage. <laughs> All right. You know what? That's to break down why that's finances right. are taboo. I think that's the real reason. In the hegemony. Yes. It's no, all about how you ask it and when you ask it and who's, in, who's around when you ask it. I right. mean, if you want yeah. an honest answer. And it's annoying to be an adult because so, so many people think they know how to do it, but they don't. Yeah, and it's annoying to be an adult because all of a sudden you have this criteria foisted on you out of nowhere, like last thing you knew you were just like eating Chipotle before you tried to catch the bus and then the next thing you know you're supposed to have been making money all this time. <laughs> <laughs> we, we feel your pain. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, okay. so Thank you. Amanda. I appreciate that. All right. all right. This is Alyssa. So you go out to an eat at a fast food restaurant, you grab a stack of napkins, but when you finish the meal you have napkins left over. Do you leave them on the table for the next person to use or do you throw them away? Wow. I get off on just throwing stuff away. <laughs> yeah. I make so much money I can afford to throw. Yeah. How much Any, do you how make? Much do you how make? much yeah. money do you make? Well, it's interesting that you ask. <laughs> he makes throwing away napkins money. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> he just walks into places, well, no, takes a do, napkin like, out, and throws it away. Doesn't even get the he food. He doesn't care. Yeah, I just <laughs> go in there. But I think this is, becomes a problem when you eat the meal and you've sullied some of the napkins, but there are some that were you brought with you, but they're still good napkins. Do you place them back on top of the napkin stand? Do you chuck them? You take put, those jokers with you. You put them take in your them purse. Yeah, I would take them. All right. Yeah, take them. All right. Take them. Oh. Yeah, all right. All right. I was like, is this a McDonald's come, napkin? Yeah. When Classy. you come to a Josh Tillman dinner party, it's like, are these Wendy's napkins? <laughs> that was, in order of how they were seated on our tiny couch, Jason Schwartzman, Jenny Slate, Father John Misty, and Lena Waithe answering etiquette questions live at the Ace Theater in Los Angeles. A great and silly end to a pretty magnificent night. It was. Glad to have shared it with you. Thanks to all who attended. And that concludes this week's edition of the Dinner Party Download. Our live show would not have been possible without our producer, Jackson Musker, and executive producer, Larissa Anderson. Thanks also to associate producer, Nina Patak, and associate digital producer, Christina Lopez. The 
The live show was directed by John Cohn with production help from Liz Brown, Dave McKeever, and Corey Schreppel. Our DJ was Chadwick Brown. Our interns are Carla Javier and Christian Coons. Big thanks to our partner KPCC-FM and to the ACE staff for opening their gorgeous theater to us. It's amazing. And now, as always, we leave you with One for the Road, a tune to dig on your way to or returning from this week's dinner parties. Father John Misty performed several songs for us that night. You may have heard one of them on a podcast-only bonus episode we released earlier this week. If not, you can grab that from iTunes or at dinnerpartydownload.org. But here's a different tune. It's called Now I'm Learning to Love the War. Bon appétit. Try not to think so much about The truly staggering amount Of oil that it takes to make a record All the shipping, the vinyl, the cellophane lining, the high gloss, the tape and the gear, white people gotta have it, try not to become too consumed with what's a criminal volume. You guessed it of oil That it takes to paint a portrait The acrylic, the varnish Aluminum tubes filled with latex The solvents and dye Oh, oh, let's Just call this what it is The gentler side of mankind's death wish When it's my time to go I'm gonna leave behind things that won't Decompose Try not To dwell so much Upon How it won't Be so very Long From right about Now That they laugh at us for selling a bunch of 15 year olds made from dinosaur bones singing oh yeah baby baby Oh, baby Baby Again
So let's just call this what it is It just might be the gentler side of mankind's death wish I don't know when it's my time to go I'm gonna leave behind things that won't decompose So what? I'll just go and call this what it is It's no mystery, it's my vanity Gone wild with my crisis One day this all might repeat And I sure hope they make something actually useful of me and stuff Father John Misty yeah Father John Misty and that's our show thank you everyone this has been fantastic thank you all we'll see you in the lobby we'll see you out there thanks